It's time for Making It Personal, a personalized SC podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone. This is Carrie Fersner from the Office of Personalized Learning, and I am excited to be joined by some awesome educators from Red Bank Elementary. So we're going to start off by allowing you two to introduce yourselves, and then we'll get the conversation going. Um, I'm Lauren Van, assistant principal at Red Bank Elementary, formerly a fourth and fifth grade teacher at Red Bank Elementary. And I'm Jamie Childs. I am the project-based learning facilitator and um, teacher for the gifted and talented. Awesome. So um, I guess I'll start by asking you all to tell me a little bit about Red Bank as a school for someone who has never been here before. Could you paint the picture what is Red Bank as a school, and how did personalized learning become a focal point here? I know it's a loaded question. <laughs> um, well, it started before either Lauren and or, or I got here, okay. um, and that started probably about 10 years, 10 or 11 years ago, um, when our former principal, Marie Watson, um, basically brought it to the faculties brought it to the faculty and said, we've got to change the way that we do school because we're not meeting with success. Mm-hmm. And so they did some book studies and um, had kind of a leadership team that was looking at different research and doing some different readings, professional readings. And so they landed on that we needed to switch to a competency-based system. And they partnered with, um, with RISC, Mm-hmm. Um, an organization and got some training and really learned about learning progressions mm-hmm. and how to personalize learning and so we really kind of jumped off and implemented that that was kind of the history of our of our journey about how many years ago was that about 10 years ago was oh, the beginning okay. and so I started this is my seventh year and we had just switched over to doing standards-based grading the first year I was here, I started out as the technology integration specialist. And um, we were looking at learning progressions and how to design um, assignments and assessments that would meet the kids where they were and take them looking at that learning progression. And then how could we move kids from if they were a two, how would, could we get them to a three? Mm-hmm. And so then really changing, on how, changing our system of reporting. So that was the first year I was here, um, seven years ago, that we changed the grading system. Okay. So that was probably the first really, really big shift that impacted the entire school was shifting to our grading system. Because that, we had to, um, not only teachers had to understand it, students had to understand it, but also parents Mm -hmm. had to understand it. So is, so after you all started with, um, focusing on competency-based education. And I'll pause there really quick. For someone who's never heard of that, what exactly do you define as competency-based education? Um, So I kind of asked the same question when I came on board here six years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think what initially started the conversation was um, there was a lot of mugginess around what does a 75% mean on, a, on an assessment that assesses all these skills and one teacher's interpretation of what mastery looks like might be very different from another teacher's interpretation mm-hmm. of what mastery looks like. Um, so looking at equity and, and how can we make learning more transparent for students and how can we get students to, to own the process and, mm-hmm. and take 
take the lead in their learning. Um, let's look at each individual skill and, and talk about progressions. So competency-based is if I'm asked to do this skill, what are the prerequisites I need to master first? Mm-hmm. Um, so really just looking at learning as a progression and meeting each student where they are. Okay. Um, so that's loaded mm-hmm. because not every student enters up at the same place in mm-hmm. learning progression. But right. the idea is that they move when they're ready to move at mastery with urgency. Okay. Yeah. So what kind of students are here at the school? If you could describe well, where we are. We are a <laughs> Title I school. Okay. Um, we are in a suburb, a suburb of Columbia, so we are in Lexington County. Um, we are fortunate that we are in Lexington One, um, which is a strong district, and we've been given um, kind of a lot of wiggle room to, to really try things out and experiment mm-hmm. to come up with um, what's going to best suit our students' needs. Um, but we are a Title I school. We have, I don't know, the complete breakdown of all the different demographic groups. Um, but I think we're over 70% free-reduced lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, we are um, becoming more transient than we've been since I've been here. Okay. That's, that's happening um, quite a bit. And... Um, we're kind of a, just a medium-sized school. We're not a real big school, but we're not a super Around small school. 570. Yeah, 570. 4K, 3.5. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, so I heard you talk about um, where you all started with a focus on competency-based education. Mm-hmm. So what other pieces were added to the puzzle over the years as it equates to personalized learning? Mm-hmm. Leader in Me was added as um, a way to get some common language in place and to really have the kids um, to have a system where kids are owning the learning so that we could um, use things like the data notebook that gave us a structure um, for which we could um, take it on a larger scale so by doing using leader and me that gave us the language um, to talk about what it means to be self-directed to become Mm -hmm. a leader and um, to be responsible for your own learning. So I think then that was kind of a good foundation, but then we've taken it kind of to another level where we're really marrying that with academics and how can I be a leader of my own learning. Mm. So we've um, added that on, and then now we've, um, with kind of the help from, um, who was it, Redesign, Mm -hmm. helped us identify that we... um, kind of a natural next step for us would be project-based learning so that we would have more authentic and real-world experiences for students where they could develop those uh, 21st century skills, the soft skills, we mm-hmm. call them power skills in our district, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the competencies that we've identified through um, the State Department so that we our kids are ready for you know what future awaits for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so such a big piece of competency-based education and personalized learning is getting students motivated. And so we started asking the questions, how do we get them motivated? How do we get them to want to own the process? Aside Mm. from just, I need to master this skill. Mm. And we always go back to their interest in providing authentic learning opportunities. So really we're we're trying now to bridge that gap so we've built this culture of i'm moving when i'm ready and i know what i need to do but Mm. how can i apply that to authentic real life you know scenarios right right that's kind of how it's evolved i like that 
Now, I heard you talk about data notebooks. And in the past, data notebooks have gotten a really bad rep because it's seen as like one more thing the teacher has to do and I have to keep all these notebooks. How do you all utilize data notebooks here? So it's, it's property of the students. It's not, a teacher's not maintaining the data notebook. Mm -hmm. um, so with our, we have a structured calendar which was designed um, with some teachers and then also our admin and it kind of, it scaffolds what needs to be in place and by when. In the notebook. In the, in the notebook okay. and in our, just setting up our culture. Okay, okay. Um, so the first, the very first thing that we do at the beginning of the year is develop a shared vision and code of cooperation. Mm -hmm. And that's, everybody's doing that at the same time. And then so different parts are layered on um, mm -hmm. throughout the year. And so the data notebook is one of those things that comes into place. And it just becomes a place where, where students are keeping track of their learning. Mm -hmm. So the teacher knows to tell the, tell the students, here's your learning planner. This goes in this section of your data notebook. So we've all come to a shared understanding of where we're going to keep things. Um, and then these systems that are in place um, are school-wide. So that if I have a learning planner, I'm tracking my learning when I've mastered those standards, then I'm going to move that learning planner to celebrations. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, um, we're going to have celebrations mm -hmm. uh, school-wide or within our class mm -hmm. or by grade level. Mm -hmm. um, so that it's really owned by the student and they mm -hmm. take it home with them every day. That is a way to communicate with parents also so yeah. that they can see what's going on in class. Yeah. So... One thing that um, that I know about both of you is that you both were teachers somewhere along your professional journey. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask like a twofold question. So can you talk about your experience as a teacher, maybe teaching in a traditional setting versus in a personalized learning setting? And then the second part of that is how are students different in your experiences in both of those settings? So I started my career in Orangeburg. Oh, I'm from um, Orangeburg. Yeah. Can we talk about that? <laughs> I, about I tell my story a lot. But oh. I've transformed. Yeah. Just a, not only as an educator, but as a person. Mm -hmm. um, so when I started my career, um, math interventionist, second grade teacher, mm -hmm. and then fourth grade teacher in Orangeburg, mm -hmm. um, I felt like I kind of struggled all along the way because I knew that students needed differentiated learning experiences. Um, I knew that there were outside factors that mm -hmm. affected their engagement and their motivation and um, that they brought things with them to school that I were sometimes out of my control. And I, I felt frustrated at times because everything I felt like I was told to try and tried to implement didn't always have the right result. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it started with first building relationships with students and, and that only goes so far, I felt like. Mm -hmm. um, and. I just, I felt like it didn't matter what I did, there were still the kids that had the hoods on mm -hmm. their heads, their heads on their desk. And even mm -hmm. if they knew I cared, it wasn't enough to get them motivated to try. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I dealt with that for a while and I kind of got to a point where I just accepted that might just be the way that it is. Mm. Even though I knew in my heart that I didn't want to accept it. Yeah. Um, so then I came here and I joined a team that was well into the work of competency-based ed. And I'm very fortunate that I was part of that team to start um, because I got to see that in their classrooms, some of those students with very similar stories and backgrounds of the, the students I previously worked with in Orangeburg were, were not those kids with the hoods on their head and their heads on the desk. Hmm. Um, 
they wanted to learn, they were eager for information. Um, and so that's really kind of what gave me the courage to mm. jump in. So along with a leadership, uh, with leadership who said, you're pre-forgiven. If you're doing what's be- what you think in your heart is what's best for kids, then try it. And if you fail, you're pre-forgiven. Mm. Try again. Um, so with the combination of those two things, seeing what these kids can do when they're provided these opportunities to, for success on their level um, and having that pre-forgiveness, I just said, what do I have to lose? You know, that's, mm-hmm. we're just going to go all in for kids. Um, and so I think the, the biggest part of what makes it so powerful is um, we've all as adults experienced failure. And yeah. then, and while we like to think that it motivates us to try again to be successful, if you experience it consistently, you, there's a part of you that wants to give up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so what's so beautiful about competency-based education and personalized learning is kids are tasting success and they want more. Mm-hmm. Um, not only are they tasting success, they're, um, they're doing it in they're connecting it to life yeah um and it's empowering them to do more than just master these skills it's translated into the leadership and the culture of our school Mm -hmm. um so how can i take these things that i'm doing and do more with them how can i encourage others to find their passion Mm -hmm. um and so really it was huge for me um i felt like you know why wasn't i doing this all along Mm -hmm. you don't know until you yeah you you don't know what that's right Mm -hmm. one of my favorite quotes is you don't know what you don't know yeah. Um, do the best you can until you know better. Mm-hmm. And then when you know better, do better. Right. Um, and so that's always been my motto. And I just keep trying to live into that and encourage others to live into that. So, yeah. I think I would like to kind of answer your question from the perspective of um, a parent okay. um, mm-hmm. of a child in a traditional system and then that child moving into a competency based system. Okay. And the, and the change that I saw yeah. in regard to that. Um, so my son started out kindergarten and first grade in a traditional, a great school, traditional mm-hmm. school, and he was in the office every day. Mm. Um, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> he was, um, he was a very, um, eager child and, um, in a, in wanted to do well, but mm-hmm. just had a lot of self-control issues. And, um, so when we moved to Red Bank and I started working as a technology integration specialist, um, he was in second grade and he was in a classroom um, with teachers who had just started biting off some small pieces. Mm -hmm. We were really just taking kind of layering things on one piece at a time and not trying to just jump in and do everything. Right. All the different parts of competency based. So when he got to experience the voice and choice that made him a totally different student. When he got to, when his interests were addressed and he was able to work at his own pace mm-hmm. and wasn't forced to um, sit through a lesson that of, on standards that he had already mastered or maybe standards that he wasn't ready to learn yet, mm-hmm. he was engaged in the learning and wasn't in trouble. Mm-hmm. So he never went to the office when he was a student here um, because the learning, the it was just right. It was like Goldilocks. It was just yeah. right. <laughs> I like that. And so it it fit his needs and his learning style and his pace of learning. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not to say that he didn't have troubles along the way. He certainly, you know, the teachers had to say, okay, you have practiced this enough. It's now time for you to assess on it. Mm-hmm. So let's move on. Because he's not super um, self-directed as far as moving on. Yeah. But, um so I, I just really saw him blossom as a student when he was out of a traditional into a 
into a competency-based system. And then now ba being back into a more traditional system in middle school and high school, he really struggled with, well, how come I don't get to make this choice? Like, I'm mm. not ready to take this assessment. You've already given me this quiz, and I showed you that I didn't know this part wow. of the content. Why am I now taking the assessment the very next day? Mm. So he could articulate that. So he can advocate for himself. Absolutely. Mm. That's something a lot of students can't do for some reason because they're not given the opportunity to. And he could tell you what what he already knew how to do mm -hmm. or already and still does. He can tell you what he knows how to do and the parts that he's missing mm. so that you're going to maximize the time with him. So yeah. I need help with this. He's able to, to identify and, and talk about that. Yeah. So, um, and my daughter too, she's now in sixth grade. So I think, you know, from a parent yeah. perspective, I think that that's also important. Yeah. That's very understand. important. Yeah. So, Here's a good question. Um, we encounter a lot of schools and a lot of districts who have heard about personalized learning and they're kind of interested and the big question is, where do we start? Where do we start? Um, so I'll offer a, another two-part question. Where would you advise a school or a district who's just starting this process to start um, with their school? And the second part is, what kind of leadership does it take um, to see something like this off, not just for a year, um, while it's a mandate or whatnot, but to see this off for a long period of time so that it, it can actually pick up and, and have some traction in the school. So I guess you can answer that from, I guess your, um, your roles as leaders and then just like overall, what does it take? I think that the first part is that you have to have the why. Like, why are you, why do you need to make this change? Mm -hmm. Why, why is this road that you want to go down? Why are you wanting to go down that road? Mm -hmm. um, and when you've identified your why, then, okay, so what are the parts that we're willing to give up? What are we willing to let go of mm. and make it and make a change? Because you can't just add on and make, make it something else. It has to be, we're we're willing to stop doing this practice so that we can now focus our energies on these practices. Um, so doing some research is definitely a place to start. Mm -hmm. So visiting other schools that are, are in the work, um, listening to them and learning from their mistakes, mm -hmm. um, or not mistakes, but just their challenges and mm -hmm. what they've learned to over, how to overcome. And then also, um, having a shared vision. So if we know it's that, I mean, it's very much goes back to habits. Like if you begin with the end in mind, this is what mm -hmm. we want it to look like. How are we going to get there? So knowing that we want kids to be in charge of their learning, that we want it to be a student centered, um, mm -hmm. environment. So I would say as a leader, you have to, every single time that you're going to do anything, you have to stop and ask yourself, is this what's best for kids? Is this what's mm. best for kids? Or is this what's best for the teacher? Or is this what's best for parents? If your answer is not, it's what's best for kids, then you shouldn't be doing it. Mm. <laughs> Period. Mm. End of story. Yeah. And as far as where to start, we often talk about like the things that are best for kids are 
are what what's best for adults like mm-hmm. you don't outgrow a lot of these things like yeah. um, students need to be met where they are they need to start where they're comfortable they need to have voice and where they start like all of those things are true for adults as they go through a change um, so once they understand the why mm-hmm. um, first that's motivation to make the change mm-hmm. um, uh, we talk a lot about self-reflection um, a lot of our time has been spent on self-reflecting and mm-hmm. carving out time for self-reflection mm-hmm. um, and entry places look different for different people, different different teachers, d- different leaders. Yeah. Um, but uh, for sure, the shared vision is, is going to be the cornerstone of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, the why of the work is, is where you have to start first. And then the other pieces support that that vision. Right. Yeah. And so then I think you kind of lay out, like, these are the, the big pillars of mm-hmm. what makes our competency-based system work. So once you've identified what those big pillars are, then you give folks choice about, well, where, what are you willing to, to let go of so that you can start mm-hmm. unpacking standards or that you can start really focusing on your classroom culture? Mm-hmm. Probably the classroom culture really has to come first because mm-hmm. all those yeah. other changes, it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But all those things, they, they're so interconnected mm-hmm. that um, one kind of leads to the next. Yeah. And so if you, if you spend time just focusing your energy and and doing a one piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. changing one thing at one time, and reflecting on it. Well, how did that go? Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm now ready to take this next step. Or right. let me hear from, you know, this little part worked, but let me look at what so-and-so is doing, mm-hmm. and I'm going to try that. And mm-hmm. so that collaboration piece, you can't do it in isolation. The collaboration piece is huge. And not only with other teachers, well. other colleagues, but with students. Like, mm-hmm. you can have... At, Teachers here often have conversations with their students about, okay, we've got this in place for when you master a standard, this is what you can do next. Like, how is that working for you? Mm. Um, so really getting on their level and making them part of that, they, they own it. Yeah. So that's yeah. important too. Yeah. Well, thanks, ladies. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, We are here for our special segment that I'd like to call Making It or Breaking It. So I'm going to ask our guests to either share a make, which is something great that they've seen in the work of personalized learning, or share a break, which could be a struggle, a barrier, or concern that you've encountered or seen along the journey. So which one will it be? Make or break? (laughs) Can I share a break that turned into a make? Yes, you can. Um, So throughout my work here at Red Bank, um, starting in the classroom, I had to make the shift to competency-based education. And for me, that was... I'm just one of those people that like once I commit to doing it, I don't I don't really fear. I just mm. I just go for it if yeah. I know that what I'm working for is worth it. But um, I've also learned that not everybody is necessarily like that. So mm-hmm. there there's some folks that need to be more told try this first, try this next, mm-hmm. try this you know in, in in more steps. Yeah. So than I than I was willing to take or um, I just diving in like I did. So I guess. As I've transitioned, well, not even since I've been in administration, but when I was in the classroom, I started thinking about um, new teachers that come to Red Bank Mm -hmm. um, that really need more support or um, like how can we get them to understand the why behind the work Mm -hmm. um, when time is limited. And so 
it, it's been somewhat of a barrier. I feel like at times mm -hmm. maybe considered a break, but I think what we've learned is that we personalize our professional learning just as we do mm -hmm. learning for kids, yeah. um, give them voice and choice in what they do. And so we've had some teacher leaders that have stepped up and they've mm -hmm. been willing to share um, with new teachers, with all teachers. And so mm -hmm. um, just providing time for, for teachers to get in classrooms of other teachers and see mm -hmm. Um, see what's happening. So we do learning walks at least twice a year we have for the last several years. Um, what is a learning walk and how do you make that happen in a school day? <laughs> um, so we take um, a whole day, every teacher during their planning time, they go and visit two to three classrooms and they fill out a Google form. Um, and that kind of narrows their focus on the personalized learning piece. So they're and they're talking to kids. Mm -hmm. um, so they're asking a kid, "Can you um, tell me about your shared vision? Can you tell me um, how you use your code cooperation? Can you tell me what learning targets you're currently working on? Mm -hmm. um, what goals? Do what you goals have? do you have? Can you show me where they're written?" So. Um, this form, we collect some data, mm -hmm. um, and no names, no teacher names are included, no student names are included, and then um, we come back together in a faculty meeting and we follow protocols to debrief and talk mm -hmm. about what our next steps are. So we actually just did that uh, yesterday, yesterday. Oh, cool. um, and something that kind of came out of the data was that um, while goal setting is happening, it could be very, it could be more intentional, like mm -hmm. kids listing strategies and tracking their progress towards mastery of their goals. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's a next step for us. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been really cool and also yeah. helping us. There's a question on the form that says, is there something you saw that you would like to learn more about as a teacher? Mm -hmm. um, so they put in what they'd like to learn more about and then the, the idea is that we take and we create sessions oh, wow. from that. Mm -hmm. um, if so they it's like saw you're getting it, the direct yes, needs that's right. the teachers. And so then yeah. teachers can choose to, to mm. go. So it's been a make slash break. I don't know. It's it's yeah. one of those things that we're constantly trying to figure out how to best support those new folks. Um, and I feel like we've made some gains. We're still trying yeah, to. Yeah, I think, I think that um, with the ongoing support sessions yeah. um, from the, the yes. State Department, it's been <laughs> helping. It's helped us kind of find our north again mm -hmm. about um, – because while we we understand and when new hires come on, they understand that we're part, we're involved in this work, mm -hmm. and we say here's the structure calendar, here come to these sessions and that sort of thing. But it, it's made us, after going to those sessions um, with the uh, with your office, we're coming back and we're like, okay, stop, mm -hmm. let's take a take a breath here. Mm -hmm. We need to back up and get all on the same page to make sure, because we can't sustain this work if everyone's not on mm -hmm. the boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's we, easy to get, like, the balls rolling, and it's, it's easy to forget, like, we have to make sure everybody is. But we also yeah. have to recognize yeah. that there are some folks who are way out in mm -hmm. front, and mm -hmm. so we have to continue to let them fly. Mm -hmm. And so that professional learning maybe isn't going to need to be the same for those folks mm -hmm. as it is for the brand new folks mm -hmm. so but there are some things and I, so I'd say I would say probably a break for me mm -hmm. is the mandates from the district or from the state mm -hmm. that we're required to do sometimes interrupt the flow mm -hmm. or take precedent over what we know is best for kids mm -hmm. um so trying to find workarounds for that is um we call it creative, creative compliance. compliance. Yes. <laughs> um, so just knowing that we have grace from our district on some things, mm -hmm. um, but there are other things that we have to just begrudgingly 
do. Mm -hmm. You just have to suck it up and do it um, for the sake of it getting done. But then always going back to what is the, what are we mostly focused on Mm -hmm. and making that our priority and where we're spending the, our time and efforts. Yes. Well, thank you ladies so much for talking to us. We'll be back for a closeout. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. Be sure to connect with the Office of Personalized Learning on social media. Tweet us at PersonalizedSC and follow us on Instagram at SC Personalized. Please also send in any questions you have regarding personalized learning for our Q&A segment on future episodes. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!